Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malakian and I'm joined by James Rundle. Hello. James heroically, you know, doing the podcast even though we are on deadline. Uh, oh, for we're on, we're on our, such a deadline. This our, is <laughs> as you mentioned last week, uh, our first uh, combined issue of Waters Technology that will feature both tech and data. Yeah, there's... Um, do you remember that parable about you just you know making a rod for your own back? This yeah. is pretty much definitely applicable in this situation. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's gonna, but it's going to be immense when you see it. Yeah, I'm actually quite proud of it. It's going to be very good. Yeah, very good. And there are going to be two good stories in it, which we're going to bring up. Well, there's going to be more than two good stories in it, but two good stories that we're going to discuss because they're online right now. Yep. Uh, but before we get to those two stories and we'll quickly discuss those, we do have a guest this week. Uh, it's going to be Simon Hazlitt. He is the uh, one of the co-founders of Majetti Asset Management in London. And he retired about a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just ends up coming back in, you know, decided uh, that he wasn't ready to fully hang up the gloves yet. And so he uh, started a cloud consulting um, services company called Supple. And Simon's always been, I've always really enjoyed talking with Simon. You know, he's he would go to our conferences and, you know, tell a room full of technologists why, you know, why asset managers and banks don't really need technology. So, you know, they have yeah. these third-party, uh, because of the cloud, they have these third-party vendors that deliver stuff via service. What's the point of view? <laughs> well, he was one of the um, the really early kind of adopters, wasn't he, of the, the technology-less office, I guess they call yeah. it. Um, you know, this is back in, I guess he's on a cover around some 2012, 2013, something like that, um, back when cloud was a bit of a dirty word, especially on the buy side. And, you know, his yeah. Majady was very, very early in moving towards us, and Simon really drove that, so... Should be an interesting interview. Yeah, it was an asset management firm where they had no internal technologists. Um, he kind of oversaw the technology vendor relationships, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, they had no um, mainframes or servers or anything in the office, right? Was, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, he's he's always got good analogies and stuff like that. He's uh, fun to listen to. So that will be on in just a moment. Uh, so as I mentioned before, though, we have two stories that we think that you all will find interesting. Hopefully, uh, so first up. We, for the cover story of the April issue of Waters, we have uh, Nausicaa Delfas, uh, FC, uh, the executive, what, what is she, the executive uh, director of the Financial Conduct Authority. Executive director of International. Of, the of International, Conduct. sorry. Mm-hmm. And her job, her role is to oversee um, how the, F, in part, is to oversee how the FCA will respond to whatever happens with Brexit. Yeah, she's effectively the Brexit director yeah. these days because that's kind of all-consuming, I think. So, you know, Josephine Gallagher, Joe, um, our reporter out in London, did a great job with this. Uh, it's a really interesting story. It's also free to read. It's in front of our paywall. Um, and it's up on waterstechnology.com right now. But maybe for the audience members that are here in the U.S., like myself, that just don't care about hearing about Brexit, why should somebody care about Brexit, the FCA, and kind of how they're trying to manage this very, very turbulent yeah. um, event? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting with these kind of profile stories. Um, depending on who you're interviewing and, and kind of what the setup is, sometimes they're all about the person, sometimes they're all about the company. Mm-hmm. This one's very much um, a little bit about Nausicaa and mostly about what the FCA is doing technology-wise around Brexit, which I think befits the story. Um, why people should care about it? Because, hey, you know, London's one of the, the world's biggest financial centres and it's shortly going to be hobbled by this. Um, 
I think the really interesting parts of this is that Joe really goes into detail there about kind of what the, the FCA is doing from all ranges of scenarios, whether there's a no deal Brexit um, and you know, UK crashes out on April the 12th now, um, mm-hmm. which would be you know very problematic to uh, pursue. She goes into detail about how, like for instance, the FCA has replicated some of the technology that ESMA has. Obviously, in a no-deal Brexit scenario, the FCA would no longer have access to ESMA's databases or technology, including its reference data system and that kind of thing. So all they've done is essentially taken the schema for that and then built it themselves in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is a no-deal Brexit, then they can just switch that on and be ready to go. Um, and it also talks a lot about um, what they're doing in terms of, sort of market surveillance, uh, in terms of how they've really prepared from a legal and regulatory perspective. Uh, Norska Delfast is a lawyer by trade, and by training even. Um, so it goes into kind of how they've transplanted European rules into the Euro- into the UK's national rulebook um, okay. so they can kind of fail over when it's time. So, I mean, it's something for everyone in there. If people are interested in policy and regulation and that side of Brexit, they've got that. If you're interested in pure tech, you've got that. Um, so, yeah. Okay, very good. And... Before you move on, do you have any prediction on will it be a no deal Brexit? Will it be Theresa May's deal? Will it be something else? Uh, I, I think I'm not brave enough to make a prediction right now. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I still think the fall of the British government is at hand, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> Very good. All right. Um, the other story uh, that we hope that you will read is so. So I wrote the story looking at how. Uh, firms are using the public cloud today. Now, we've written a lot about this in the past. So this isn't a story about here are the benefits you gain. Many people already know the benefits, hence why cloud adoption is rising all the time. You know, even if, you know, you are only tangentially using or partially using public cloud providers, most of the vendors that you're going to be working with are partnering with an AWS, with a Google Cloud platform, with an Azure, with an IBM Cloud um, or else in one of the many, you know, um, smaller uh, cloud providers that exist out there in the market today. Mm. So this isn't about that. Uh, this story looks at the challenges that firms have faced as they have transitioned to a public cloud architecture. And so I spoke with several early adopters from banks, from uh, the buy side, from vendor firms, to discuss the lessons that they've learned along the way. You know, what what were some of the what are some of the pitfalls that that they ran into? What would they go back and change if they had to go and do it again? Um, where is where do firms really need to think from a strategy um, and from a cultural perspective as to how to properly run these cloud migration programs? I think that was actually one of the really interesting parts of the story was the culture aspect uh-huh. of it, right? Sure. Um, I loved it when. Uh, uh, well, the guy from Numerics, I think, was talking about uh, how Maven, um, yeah. Benjamin yeah, Maven. Benjamin Maven was talking about how um, they've had to put a system in place to kind of track what people are doing using the cloud. And once people kind of get a taste of it, they can't get enough of it, kind of thing. Yep. It really changes how people work. I think it's uh, it's a fascinating story. Yeah, and Numerics had to go through uh, kind of three iterations of how they would use it. They kind of let you know, kind of this free buffet here. You need to use the cloud. Go ahead, use it. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out at, at all. And it cost them thousands of yeah. dollars, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. Then it was okay. We'll only make uh, cloud the cloud um, testing available uh, for eight hours a day. But what worked for New York wasn't going to work for Singapore. And what worked for Singapore wasn't going to work for London. Yeah. And then so they finally came up with a better approach to it of authorized users, 
um, and an automated emailing system so that you could make requests and you wouldn't have to go through humans. So it, there's a lot of interesting stories in this, I, I hope, I think. Yeah. Um, and real, real specific examples of where firms have gone wrong and what they've done to correct those early trip-ups, um, mm-hmm. as you'd expect, and where they kind of see this going as as more and more firms try and enter into both uh, using uh, public cloud for a wide ranging of services and also as they increasingly use multiple cloud providers from you know coupling an AWS with an Azure or Google for certain aspects of the firm. So it's uh, 4,200 words, very wide ranging, but um, a lot of good examples from actual industry participants. Yeah, and Tony's underselling it slightly as well. When he says he's spoken to people from the sell side, from the buy side, from private equity, when he says the sell side, he means Bank of America. When he says the buy side, he means Blackstone. Yeah. And like you know, and and the vendor side, numerics and trade technology. These aren't small companies. Yeah. These are big companies that have actually adopted this. And it's even if you just go there just to glean a little bit of wisdom about kind of their journey through this, uh, it's definitely worth taking a look. And you really should do because uh, you know not enough people have read it for his liking today, and his feelings are really hurt now. My feelings so. are a little bit hurt. Yeah, I really. Uh, this is I expect it to be one of the most read stories of the year. Really, quite frankly, this is a, too good of a story. To listen, one of our most read stories of the year is my DTCC story from last year, which <laughs> somehow keeps propping up right now. I don't know why. People love that uh, people DTCC love that. blockchain story. Let me tell you. Um, so yeah, so those are the two big stories. We're not going to take up uh, any more of your time here. Again, we got Simon Hazlitt coming up and. So he wasn't mentioned in the story. I did happen to speak with him, but right as I was on deadline, I was like, you know what, Simon, let's do this on the podcast. And so he has a lot of other interesting ideas um, because his view of the cloud is markedly different from many people's, even though he's going to find agreements with, say, Bill Murphy, who was on our podcast kind of discussing this a little bit in the past. So... Go and listen uh, uh, to Simon, and yeah, we will be back next week. We have another guest next week coming up, assuming that no one cancels out. And We've got a bunch coming up, um, actually, yeah. yeah. Quite a few booked in, so pretty Yeah, so we're going to go back. Uh, you, you can stop listening to us uh, for a while now, um, and I'm sure you were all very happy about that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> all right, so go check out the April issue of Waters Technology. Uh, the stories are going up right now online. They'll be sprinkled out over the next week and a half. And the magazine itself, uh, very, very 100 pages, right? Something like that. Oh, yeah. By the time you listen to this, I'll be dead. Yeah, um, exactly. So, it'll, yeah. Be, <laughs> it'll be hopefully hit in your desk uh, sometime uh, within the next week or so. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. And here is Simon Hazlitt. All right. And now we are back. And uh, we have a guest for you all today. Um, today, joining me uh, from London, uh, so calling in from London, is Simon Hazlitt. Uh, former uh, a co-founder of Majetti Asset Management. Then uh, he went into retirement, but couldn't stay away for too long and has set up a cloud consulting services company called Supple. Uh, Simon, thanks uh, for joining us today. No, not at all. I'm pleased to be here. So Simon's always been one of my favorite people to talk to. And I, about a year or so after I started at uh, Waters, I flew over to London for a conference that we had over there. And Simon goes up on stage, it's a room full of technologists, and he proceeds to tell them about how, you know, cloud is going to disintermediate everything. Many people's jobs in that room will not be, you know, at least will be different uh, because of uh, because of the cloud and how it's going to be delivering technology, and really had some ideas that were ahead of its time that have 
clearly have shown through um, all these years later. Uh, so, Simon, you know, maybe just to start with, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and maybe talk about those early days when you started to see this shift in the industry toward cloud. You you published a book in 2008 called uh, Running on Air. Maybe talk a little bit about your start in uh, the industry and then how you saw this shift to cloud. Sure. I mean, I, I was a soldier. Um uh, an air mobile infantryman, and I, um, as one of the jobs I did was to run the communications for uh, the battalion. So I was the military signaller, um, and that was kind of tough. But what the really interesting thing was, the military has a very strategic view of information, and the, the technology was sort of secondary. It was much more about how to build uh, an information network um, so that we could compute um, and, and indeed communicate over uh, you know hundreds of kilometers because of the, the, the choppers, um, and that was really interesting. And um, and then I, I left <clears throat> and then joined Mercury Asset Management. Um, now, of course, BlackRock, a very good organization. But I was really struck by how it was the other way around. Everybody was focused on the technology and the sort of information was the was the poor relation, which seemed to me a bit, a bit strange. Um, and and of course, what interesting about Mercury? Of course, it was bought by Merrill Lynch, and and um, we 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 formed something called an e-business team. I don't know whether you remember the days of having e-business. Quite a radical idea, where the business would take over the technology. Uh, and I became the business architect in Europe, and 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 as such, exposed to a number of these nascent technologies. Of course, it wasn't called the cloud. Then it was, uh, I think it was application service provision. Do you remember ASP? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you re- realised that it was had I you know recognised that it had great potential. And and when four of my colleagues wanted to to, to start a, a new business, you know, in 2002, it seemed the perfect the perfect opportunity to put those ideas into practice. So we we started and indeed continued for about 12 years without any IT team. Yeah. Um, and you know, and 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 the the interesting thing, I'm not sure my colleagues knew quite how experimental the whole thing was when I started. Um, but but logically, this was the right way to go. And 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 you know, I think certainly in in the case of Majedi, it was. Um, and and so you know, I I I'm a historian, Russian. I, I've read Russian history at university, so I'm not a technologist. And maybe that's the point. Maybe because I didn't understand my Python or whatever, <laughs> then I was. You know, almost forced to use other people's services, but it seemed to sure. me, you know, perfect because these guys are the specialists. And why would I reinvent the wheel? Yeah, no, it, it, like I, I, I liked um, so because the sell side was at this time was moving toward the cloud, starting experiment with it. The buy side, especially on the asset management side, you know, the idea of really just outsourcing everything to third parties, putting information into the cloud, uh, both private and public. It, it was fairly anathema, but uh, a quote that you used a lot back then, I don't know if you still use it much now, but you, you said that uh, it wasn't Leonardo da Vinci's paintbrush that made him special, was it? And meaning, it's not to be dismissive of the technology, it's just your job as an asset manager, right, was to, you know, handle money, be able to deliver returns, you know, fiduciary responsibility, stuff like that. It wasn't about building technology. And I think a lot of the buy side is starting to come around to that idea now as well, 
hence why you're starting to see these partnerships with AWS, Google, Azure, um, and then other cloud providers through Salesforce or even Bloomberg or other um, uh, SaaS-delivered outlets. So maybe talk a little bit about, as somebody that was on the inside, um, on the battle lines, at an asset manager, and now as a consultant to, uh, helping firms to adjust their strategy, what what is the shift that you've seen along the way here as uh, firms are becoming more and more comfortable with the cloud? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, Anthony, because actually, you know, for a world... I mean, you know, the detractors the, the, the to IT always you know, talk about the fact that there's too much analysis and too little emotional IQ in, in people who deal with technology. But, but in a funny sort of way, this is one of the most emotional arguments I've had for years because logically the cloud has been, ever since probably 2001, you know, screamingly the best solution for affirmed information needs. But the, the, the thing that's held it back has been emotion. You know, it's been, frankly, the, the fact that people don't want to lose their job, which is entirely a rational emotion, if that's not a contradiction in terms. But also there's been a sense that, you know, we can't trust it um, sort of outside our building. And I, I, think, I, think, I think we are seeing a little bit of a shift. And now having come back into helping companies, it, it still surprises me that um, businesses haven't got there. I mean, I wrote that, completed that book in 08 because I was, I was desperate to, uh, my wife said, are you re writing this to sell copies or simply to make a point? And I said, well, very firmly, the, the, the latter. Um, and that, but it, it sold a few hundred copies in, on the West Coast uh, sort of primarily. But I was trying to do that by then because I felt that by then people, it would be axiomatic that everybody would be in the cloud. And and, and and I didn't want to, you know, I wanted people to know that, you know, hey, look, we thought of it first type mm. thing. Um, but of course, I, you know, I stay, we sit here in 2019 and I still go into businesses and, and, you know, if they're using the cloud, it's very small amounts um, of stuff. Um, and, you know, it, 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 you know, it's got me really thinking, you know, what, why, A, whether we were right. And I, I'm, I'm still absolutely convinced that that is the case. But we... If, if that is the right thing, why aren't all these firms who've got incredibly intelligent people um, doing that? And, and you know, and, and that, that's a critical question. And my, my answer is really, it's all around the cloud being, the, the, what, what the cloud represents is not a te technological revolution. That's a really important point. What the cloud represents essentially is a governance one. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it allows you to manage your information in a different way. But what has happened is the cloud has emerged, um, but firms haven't changed the way that they do that. They, and so they use technology departments to put the, the same kind of bespoke applications in, in the cloud. And, and it's a bit like putting a saddle in a car. You know, you, you, you've, you, you haven't really, and, and you know, I, I heard Bill on, on Bill Murphy, who I thought was really lucid, very, very smart guy. And he was saying, you know, what we didn't want to do is lift and shift. Yeah. And, I, and he's absolutely right. I mean, I, my phrase would it is simply a lipstick on a pig. You know, you, you stick it in the cloud and you claim you've, you've transformed yourself. Sure. You haven't really. And, and, you know, effectively, I think what the cloud does is, is take the technology out of it. That's mm -hmm. the irony, is it becomes a given, you know, in the same way that one, you know, turns on one's phone and, and Facebook is sort of there. I mean, there are the odd outages, but it, 
we don't, we're not thinking of patching. We're not, th- you know, we, we, it's a service. Yeah. And and I think, you know, what the cloud does is allow businesses now to run their information and end the outsourcing relationship they never realized they had, which is they outsource their information to technology people, which to me was a bit not 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 right because technology people aren't great with information. I, people will howl at me for that, but they're very logical people generally, and they're used to the logic of the motherboard, the one or the naught, the binary, that's you know, how things work. But information can be one, it could be naught, it could be both, it could be neither, at the same time, depending on the context, and business people understand that. And and so you've got this real sort of unhelpful process by which technologists try and screw down information so that it fits some sort of application uh, and ultimately deliver something that really doesn't suit what it's designed after all to do, which is to, yeah. to, to, to help businesses find stuff out. You sure. know, so, so it, you know, it's much better giving it to the business itself, in my view. Yeah, and... You know, because I, I think that a lot along the way, a large large amount of people didn't realize how much they were already relying on yeah. third-party outsourcing, whether through Salesforce, which was early adopters of cloud technology, um, Bloomberg de- delivering stuff through you know that kind of a service. I don't know that they necessarily appreciated that fact, and I think they're now coming around to it. And now they, they after trying to invest in some of the security around it and in some of the architecting around it, they said these guys can just do this better than we can. Now there's I don't understand why why we're still spending the money on this when they're going to have infinitely more money to uh, patch and maintain these these uh, servers than we'll have. Absolutely. I mean, I remember sitting in a panel with with a CTO of a very large um, Wall Street bank, a huge, um, and he, you know he was talking about the resources that they had. But my point was that you know Salesforce had you know hundreds of times more uh, resources, and and they were all working for me, you know, yep. and 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 that sort of leverage effectively is is really important, but. The other the other point brings me back to my military um, career is is that um, as as a te- uh, in the military, if what you're trying to do with the enemy is not only obviously defeat you, you've got to defeat them, but by you, by what you've got to do is is what's called fixing them. So what you try and do is you deny them maneuverability. You try and fix them either by by offensive action, by fixing them to the ground or, or whatever. And once you fix them, then they become a much easier problem to, to to defeat because they are they lack the maneuverability. What's really interesting to me about the cloud is that it allows a business to unfix itself, mm-hmm. and I think that's by far the most. And, and Bill, I think, really touched on this point. And you know, he and I would probably differ in in the in in the strategy we would employ in our business. We're, I'm further along that that sort of cloud for the business route but but what we most agree on was you know he talked about the cloud gives them agility it's not just about dollars which is important in this day and age but what it allows for is is what the military call flash to bang that's to say the minute you know you you see the need to do something you can do it so much quicker um in, in using a, a cloud service and and you know, I, when I talk about cloud, I, I do very definitely mean not only the sort of platforms like you know Azure and, and, and Google, 
um, and AWS, but but all the, the many hundreds, thousands of vendors that sit on the top, the software mm-hmm. as a service guys. You know, to me, being able to um, to, to to build one's um, needs uh, using the services that they provide it, it is by far the most future-proof way of going. Because you bet your bottom dollar that within you know six months in this day and age, the, the, the demand picture for one's business has changed. The client preferences have moved on, and you need to move on with it. And and they are clouded, uh, ironically. And 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 the minute the business puts a bit of code down, it, it becomes fixed. Mm-hmm. And, and and actually, you know, in this day and age, my sense is that productivity um, is not the old Henry Ford kind of throughput idea, you know, where how many widgets can you produce for how little money and, and you know, how little time. It's about flexibility, hence the name of our com- company, Supple, is, is actually it's flexibility that businesses need now, not that stakhanovite, like, you know, that sort of output per hour productivity that that essentially that those days are gone because the minute you tool up for some super efficient production of a product it that product itself has has been disintermediated or or has sure. gone, gone off the radar of your de, you know demand picture moves on so so i i think for me that's the most important thing is using these flexible services you, you can yourself become very flexible yeah, I, th- I think that, and that's such an important point that technology is moving so fast. Just even look at the updates. You know, so we just pub- mm-hmm. we're publishing a feature looking at just some of the challenges that firms face when going to public clouds. And for for my purposes, you know, just sticking with kind of the big four there of IBM, Microsoft, Google, and AWS. But um, you know, their updates are thousands a year, and just to keep up with all these updates and, you know, new services and stuff, it's impossible, you know, it's just, it's it's possible, but it it requires, it it takes a lot of effort, certainly, um, and it's easy to fall behind, and so the idea, uh, the ability to remain flexible, hence is why the cloud is, yes, cost is certainly always going to be at play, um, certainly, but it is also about as markets evolve, as regulations change, as you know, as tech, new technologies and tools are rapidly hitting the market, you can more easily shift strategy rather than being locked in, and that's why you know this is becoming such a, a, a vital uh, component of the financial services. Absolutely, and what's really interesting is that you know the, 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 this uh, sort of shortening half-life of, of, of a product cycle, if you like, if that's why you call it this modern era, has been around for a while. And the way that businesses have squared the circle, you know, because their markets are moving so quickly, but their technology is, is essentially bespoke and in-house, is, of course, they build all sorts of tactical um, spreadsheets and various other things to hold on to the data mm-hmm. that they need in order to, 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 to live in this new world. Because because the, the way that, that their technology structure is set up is simply not built to move as quickly. And what happens is you end up with a, 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 a extraordinary, it, what I've seen when I've now gone into other businesses, and it's been a real privilege to do that. You've got some very bright people who are, you know, boxing and coxing off a variety of different tactical stores of information. And, and the business isn't getting any heavier. That's to say, all of these things are fire and forget. They've got a spreadsheet that worked for the last three months and now it's disappeared and they've got another one. 
and the business isn't learning and it's not getting more valuable because of that um, those data and, and when one looks ahead you know, let's say in the next five years you know the AI revolution is is well it's if it's not it's not it's, it's already come in many ways yeah um, and, and, and what that needs is a steady stream, a digital exhaust from the business in order that it can build the sort of insights that's going to make your firm a better business. But actually, these businesses, it's all on yellow stickies, spreadsheets, Word documents, and so on. And, you know, these businesses stand the risk of, of really failing because they just simply won't be able to provide the ammunition for these machines to learn and and you know people are talking very highfalutin terms around um machine learning ai and and really interesting things but what strikes me when i go into a business is that in order for any of that to be remotely effective it, you know in the first instance they need to get all their information reasonably well organized and and actually um I find very seldom does, and, and I suppose the point is they wouldn't have asked me if I, if they <laughs> felt they were perfect. But very seldom is there um, any sense, not only e even of, of a plan to do that, let alone the existence of a sort of shared information pool. You know, things are done by department, things are done by technology, um, and information is is essentially the poor relation of both of those two things, which leads to a sort of Tower of Babel. You know, you've got a, a great structure that looks impressive, but it's got thickets of mutually incomprehensible data all over it, which the only way to navigate between it is to ask people. And so you end up with, with a sort of email or Slack, even worse, sort of nightmare where we're where all exposed to everybody else's requests for the information that you know about and you're you're asking them about the information that they know about in order at least to get some sort of a picture and and that to me is 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 a real real problem in this day and age yeah i mean it's it, well first of all you always have the uh the best analogies but um i'm uh reading a book right now by uh, alan uh russ bridger who's a former editor of the guardian uh newspaper and uh called breaking news and he talks about that that technology um really just now you know you're you're now in meetings all the time you're being requested for information all the time you're being it's an inundation and you don't actually have time to really sit down and just do the work anymore and so there's obviously uh negative consequences that have come with these um fascinating new revolutions in technology <laughs> yeah i think i think what's interesting to me is the messaging technologies um, went in advance of the database technology. So things like email, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the world before email, and, and dare I say it, that I think it was more efficient yeah. um, before email because you had a single file generally, um, and let's say it was on a client, and that file sat in one place, uh, and that any, anything that happened on that client or something would go on, the, it would be a note to file. Um, and and when you went to the file, interestingly, you found things you weren't looking for, but you didn't have to ask anyone for anything. You simply went to a single place. And then that was replaced by a system of, of email inboxes where we all tried to maintain our own um, version of the truth, if you like, about lots of clients. And it's exhausting and also incredibly inaccurate because we all subtly 
think we know about it, but it's that Rumsfeld known unknowns and unknown unknowns, you know, because you don't know that you haven't had that email that actually changed the base situation for this client. And sure. and, and I, I think I think what, what, what needs to happen is is that the sort of the, the database or the data store, put it this way, technologies need to catch up so that we can produce a file again. Uh, and I think enterprise social media, funny enough, have that potential to produce a file, that, a single place where everything is, so that you follow it if you need it and you go to it if you need it. But, you know, it is an exhausting rat race now. Um, and, 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 you know, people really struggle with this thing of the email nightmare. You know, we've got yeah. to get the email monster on everyone's back, but it, they don't know how to do it. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's just so funny. It's kind of like uh, the way I view it in some ways is like TV, how everybody wanted to unbundle TV. And I, I was certainly, I, I hated yeah. Time Warner Cable and Fries and Files. They all, they all drove me crazy. But now I have all these different kind of apps. Now I got to go to Hulu. Now I got to go to Roku. Now I got to yeah. go to uh, Prime yeah. or H. And now I'm like, man, those bundled services seem really nice. Or in the news business, you know, I'm going to 15 different outlets to get my news when, you know, having that one newspaper in my hands that had everything, wow, that really was uh, kind of convenient in many ways. And yeah. and then another funny story for you is, so over here at our organization, you know, we started using Slack internally. And so now I have emails coming in from places, you know, you have your phone calls, you have your meetings. And now I have this other thing now called Slack that has four different groups in it, you know, one for the editors, one for reporters. And it's like, yeah. My God, now I have to go to all these different places just yeah. to find, yeah. you know, just be like, okay, wait, when did I, when did we talk about this? Was this on Slack? Was this on email? Was this in a call? What, and it's just, it's an avalanche that's just, that I now just kind of ignore yeah. everything because of it. <laughs> yes. And you sort of think, well, if someone really needs to get hold of me, they'll give me Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's absolutely right. And, and I think, I think it's really interesting because talk to um, people of my father's generation and there was a very strict um, set of disciplines around the, the, the production of memos and this, that, and the other, which we all slightly take the mickey out of, if I'm honest. You know, take a memo, Miss Jones, and Miss Jones goes and writes a, a, a note, and, and, it, and, it, and it has an envelope that you cross off people's names. But, of course, what was interesting there is it was a much, much better way of, of solving problems. Um, because what happened was a single bit of information went round, and it and it had its own life rather than the message, yeah. you know. But everything now is in the message, uh, and we need to go back to a world where um, the information is there and not dependent on being interpreted by someone and then messaged to everybody else. Um, and 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 you know what's really interesting around this is is that the governance model that exists for that has existed for 20 years the classic one of an IT department mm -hmm. unfortunately really and you know for all of the talent and, and in fact many, most of the talented most organized people in a business I tend to find are the IT guys the thing is it just hasn't solved this central problem um, of, of of making life easier for 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 people and and and, and actually What's interesting there is is that, um, and there's no real sense of of how they can change. Um, and and my sense is is actually what you do is is you know in, the, in those days of me talking at those conference, the Waters conferences, 
saying that you know you'll all be out of a job which is a little bit rude of me but <laughs> my point is that actually we don't need people who are good at python in a business now what we need are people who are good at organization who are good at the sort of people who run conferences so they they understand where the information is they understand who needs it and they run the entitlements for those systems and and those systems reflect the nature of the information rather than the department who might have commissioned them as some sort of budget round. Yeah, sure. And, and, and you know that that that's the conclusion. For what it's worth at Majedi, you know we uh, and you know they, they are doing brilliantly, and they certainly don't need, need me anymore. But you know the conclusion we drew was that that's so we we had a business information manager who was a cartographer, who 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 drew the map of where all the information was in the likes of Click, other lakes forming schema type places. And then we had a content manager whose job it was to brand that if that information was going out to the to to, to our client. Um, of course, all the same architecture, whether it's a client or whether it's an employee looking at the information, but also run the entitlement engine. And 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 you know that was after ten years in the cloud, that was the way we ran it. Now, obviously, we were a small business, so so for a business information manager, substitute a department. And for a content manager, substitute a department for a larger business. But you know, for, if people were asking me what I've learned from you know 15 years, probably actually more more like um, or in the cloud, then that is what I've learned. That it, mm-hmm. it, it's around the management of the information. Um, and if you focus on that, um, that then you 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 really do start cooking on gas because because actually suddenly businesses start. Um, you know, you get sort of a really good wins because you build a system that allows your your relationship managers to see what's happening in the portfolios. Um, and you, of course, organize it by portfolio or something. And then you think, well, why couldn't we give access to those data to our clients? And, and you know, hey, presto, they come in through the same system as I would, but they just see one skin of the onion and I see everyone's. But the architecturally it's the same so you've got this massive synergy of developing something simple in sharepoint that allowed you to see some good information that oh suddenly you're flying out to a client and and you know the motivation you know back in 02 was was to out fidelity or or or, or out capital those those big guys when we were little yeah and what struck you know and and the cloud allowed us to do that because of course we were just renting stuff um, and and of course we had the architecture very easily and securely to give it to clients and you know those sorts of things are quite relevant. I and, and my sense is that we haven't really moved on a massive amount, particularly with client access to data. Um, you know, and it, now and that's whatever it is, almost sort of um, 15 years after, sure. uh, well more than 15 years after 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 we did it, and you know on on a you know a relatively modest budget. Okay. And so just to, to wrap it all up in a bow, I guess, because you've been dropping, you know, kind of just your thoughts around ways to go about this. Um, at Supple, as you've gone in to banks and, and other firms, where do you see firms most often going wrong? And what kind of advice would you kind of give? Like if you had two or three key things that you think are the, the main takeaways for for how to approach uh, the cloud and the business structure around that, you know, what are kind of your thoughts there? 
Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good um, question. So the the first thing that they do is they tend to look focus on the technologies, the inputs. Whereas they what they do need to do is look at the desired outputs. Um, and you know because what they tend to do is say I want to put in a CRM system or I want a risk system or whatever. And whereas what you know they need to be doing is saying okay. I want to be able to see which of my clients is, you know, or I want to be able to see this, that, or the other. So, so being able to look at outcomes is really, really important. And forget the technology, um, and the technology becomes the last ten percent of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first thing. The second one is, as I said, that people tend to look at this through the departmental lens, through their own organogram. You know, oh, well, the marketing team needs a, you know, a social media um, kind of management tool, or, or the, the 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 finance guys need a, a document management thing for their for their invoices. Um, but actually, what they need to do is to do an audit of the information, and and look at their world in that way. So let and the people that are very good at this are people who are good at filing structures. It's not rocket science. It's to understand and have a shared filing structure. Uh, and once you do that, then you can overlay simple – you realize, of course, that your information needs will be very similar to everybody else. And that's the third thing I would say is that businesses tend – they are unique, and, and by definition they are. There's a unique combination of, of operating systems and procedures and people. But what they do is make the false – a conclusion that they need unique bespoke systems, um, which is wrong because actually if you look at a business and its information needs, you'll find it's very similar to all the other businesses and not just within a sector. You know, a, a company that sells portfolio management um, needs a lot of the same things as a company that sells shoes mm-hmm. um, or pizzas. You know, my son phones Domino's Pizza every five minutes. And, and and actually, you know, they've got a pretty good CRM system. But, you know, and they need one the same way as some high-falutin hedge fund. Mm-hmm. So so the conclusion, perhaps, from all of those three things um, is that you end up understanding that you can really prosper by using standardized systems. And, indeed, the opposite of what you've been told for years, which is that the more standard systems are, the more value you're going to get out of it. Well, Simon, this is uh, good stuff. As always, uh, thanks for taking time and uh, chatting with us. Not at all.